Hey, and welcome to episode 12 of the MTB Fitness Podcast. It's funny now, because whenever I do that intro, uh, last week I was away on holiday with uh, Sophie, my girlfriend, in Munich we were in. So we had three really good, really fun days. It was great. Um, we got to quite a bit, actually. First day we went to Neuschwanstein Castle, it's called, which is high up in the mountains. That was amazing. Second day we went to do a tour of the BMW factory, BMW Welt, which means BMW World. Uh, and we did quite a good tour in there. It was like two and a half hours long which was it was amazing and I highly recommend you do it but it also went a little bit over our heads like there was there was engineers on the tour with us and they were asking like oh what type of uh, welding do you use at this part and me and Sophie were just like oh robots <laughs> so uh, I highly recommend you go give it a try because it was amazing but it, it probably would have been better suited if it was a little bit shorter uh, and then on the third day we went to Dachau concentration camp which if you're on my daily email list you can sign up for those on my website mtb.fitness uh, if you're on the daily email list you'll have read a little bit about my sort of experience there it, it was just horrific like going to a concentration camp I was expecting to be upset I was expecting to be sad I was expecting to be shocked but it was it was horrific about half an hour in I started to feel sick like down to my stomach and that sickness didn't pass until the next morning. Like, it, it was horrendous. The only kind of similar feeling I've ever had in my life is when you go to a funeral and you get that tight feeling in your stomach, you get that shortness of breath, um, and you just feel, I don't like to use this word loosely, but you just feel depressed and down in the dumps. Uh, and we just felt like that for the rest of the day. So it was a really humbling experience. I can highly recommend going to a, uh, a concentration camp if you get chance, but it was, it was horrific. Um, but on a lighter note, the reason that I'm telling you this, so when I do the intro, uh, all I can think of now is Sophie taking the mick out of me <laughs> because I uh, played one of the podcasts in the car when we were out there and she did a great impression of me and I noticed that I do a lot of intonation. <laughs> so when I say, uh, what do I say now? Uh, welcome to episode 12 of the MTB Fitness Podcast. <laughs> and she picks it up and does that intonation great. So every time I do the intro now, when you're listening to the next few episodes, know that in the back of my head, I'm thinking about Sophie taking the pee out of me. <laughs> So, before we start the podcast, uh, I want to do two things. First of all, Nick Grantham was on the podcast two weeks ago, two episodes ago, and he announced a competition to win three copies of his book, The Strength and Conditioning Bible. Now, loads of you emailed me to enter and shared the podcast on social media, so thanks so much for that. I wanted to announce the three winners, and those are Gaz Thorner, Kevin Storr, and Paul Jackson. So well done you three. If you just drop me an email to matt at mtb.fitness and just put something like you're the winner in the podcast, uh, you just need to send me your physical address and then I'll email that over to Nick and he'll get that sent out to you. So well done, you've won the competition. The second thing, so Milo Mackin, you'll probably remember the episode, uh, he was number seven, I feel like it was episode seven as well, but I could be wrong, um, but just search through them, it's Milo Mackin, number seven of this year's SAS Who Dares Wins. So he's going to be doing another episode with me and we're going to be doing a Q&A session. So what I want you to do, or what we're going to be doing, is just answering loads of questions. So he can answer anything at all you want to know about the SAS program, about what it was like, about you know losing his brother and dealing with that, if you want to talk about that, um, about doing his Ironman, like listen to the episode and any questions you've got, write them down um, and then send them to me. And then we're also going to be answering general questions. So I'll be answering questions on 
training, nutrition, that kind of thing. Um, and what I want to start doing, as I mentioned in, I think, last week's episode, I want to start doing some other sessions where it'll normally just be me talking to the, talk to the camera, this is a funny looking camera, talking to the microphone and just answering questions really and chatting about all things training and nutrition. So I'm actually going to start that by doing a double up session with Milo. And that's actually going to be in aid of the charity that he's now raising money for called Strong Men. Now he can tell you all about that when we do the episode. So what do I need from you? I need you to send me any questions you might have on training, nutrition, on mindset, um, on anything at all. And if you've got specific questions for Milo about what it was like to be on the program, about what the DSs were like, uh, anything like that, please send them through to me. So any questions, it'd really help make it a fantastic episode. Please will you email it to me, which is matt at mtb.fitness. Um, you've got probably about 10 days to send it me. So today's the 1st of March. I'll probably say there'll be about a 10th of March deadline, something like that for that. Um, and then we're going to do the episode. So I do really appreciate it if you email me some questions. All right, that's me wittering on out of the way. I'm sure I've bored you a bit now. <laughs> um, today, I'm speaking to a guy called Scott Pearson. Now, Scott is a former or a current strength and conditioning coach. He's worked with tons of rugby players, rugby teams, sorry, in the past. And he's also the, he was also the strength and conditioning team for GB Cycling, taking them to and through the Rio Olympics. So, fascinating guy. He's really, really into his into weight training and strength and conditioning and all that side of things so i really think you'll get a lot of value from the episode so without further ado thanks a lot and this is scott pearson for episode 12 of the mtb fitness podcast <laughs> Hey podcast, today I'm speaking to Scott Pearson. Now Scott owns a strength and conditioning business called Fast Fit Strong. He works with elite level cyclists, he's worked with world class athletes including Olympians and I think most notably for us mountain bikers, he works with the Olympic and the Paralympic cycling team for the Rio Olympics. So Scott, thanks a lot for coming on. Pleasure, thanks for the intro here. It was quite funny uh, originally when I think we met probably a couple of years back. You might not even remember. It was a Rick Moylan coaching uh, event. Yeah. You did a talk and I was asking a few questions about mountain biking then to try and like bring a bit of value back to my audience. And then only recently when I started the podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, he'd be a great guy. So I Googled your name, ended up finding out about your business. And it's called Fast Fit Strong, isn't it? Yeah, yeah he seems to have a package <laughs> of a similar name, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That when the you go on the uh, line. When, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah when you go on mtb fitness it's all about getting faster fitter and stronger so we are we are very much uh businesses in the same vein exactly yeah, yeah. so i'd love to start and this is for my audience as much as re me really i'd love to know a little bit more about your background how you started how you got into strength and conditioning and sport and just get the lowdown on you really yeah um yeah, well, a long time ago, I had a family friend and, and uh, his son went to a place called Crew and Alsager College, which is part of Manchester Metropolitan. Um, okay. I was at school, I was a little younger, kind of looked up to him and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go there. And then it turns out it was, it was a sports, sports campus, sports college. Uh, and I scraped um, enough to get in there in my uh, A-levels. I started off doing a, a HND in sports science. And then moved on to do a degree in coaching. So I was there five years in total. Uh, graduated from that in the year 2000. Got a job in a, in a gym. I'm from the Lake District originally. Um, got a job in a gym in Lancaster earning peanuts. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then, yeah, we knew we wanted to move away from there. So I eventually moved, moved to uh, Wilmslow. And I got a job you know, through a few twists and turns. Got a job at the Total Fitness in in oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realise that I was there. there. Yeah. yeah, I was there two weeks ago. Yeah, so, uh, Darren Roberts. I know Darren. Yeah, I know Darren yeah. relatively well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, another, <laughs> another uh, Rick Morland kind of mutual acquaintance. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but sorry, carry on. Yeah, so uh, worked there and did a variety of different things, um, sort of fitness-related jobs, started personal training, and while I was there, the Sail Sharks rugby team trained there. Okay. Uh, and I played rugby myself. I knew with a few of the players, knew a few of the coaches. And cut a long story short, um, I started helping out uh, on the Monday evenings, um, the, the academy games, they call the Jets. Um, did that for a few weeks, uh, a few months, sorry. And then bright and early, the, 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 my predecessor there was a guy called Steve Hampson, who used to play rugby league for, for Wigan Warriors. And he's one of those people, those really annoying people that, like wake up at the crack of dawn and go out and do like a marathon and stuff like that. And, yeah, I remember like slumbering in my bed and uh, he rang me at five o'clock in the morning and he was telling me like he was going to go into work that day and uh, hand his notice in because he got a job working with uh, Lee Westwood and Darren Clark, the golfers. Uh, okay. And he was going to recommend me for his position. So I was like, yeah, you're interested. I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to bite your arm off. <laughs> uh, so he did that, um, and about a week or so later, I had to go to their training ground, which was at the old stadium in Haywood Road. I got introduced to the then director of rugby, a guy called Jim Mallander. Uh, my interview consisted of, uh, Hampo tells, tells me you're pretty good, when can you start? <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, start in five minutes if you want. <laughs> um, that was 2003, so I started in August 2003. Uh, Funnily enough, I, I started um, the very same day as a guy called Phil Burt, who's the who was just recently left um, Team Sky and British Cycling. He was the the head physio there for ten years, so we both started at Sail Sharks on the same day. Um, I was there six years, during which time we we won the um, the, the European Challenge Cup, which is the, the equivalent of like the UEFA Cup. Um, got to the quarterfinals of the Heidegger Cup. Um, and won the Premiership title in 2006. Wow, amazing! Um, yeah, that was that was a reasonably good experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then yeah, uh, I left there in 2009. Um, I went to Doncaster Knights, and I headed up the, the strength and conditioning there. Um, full of bravado, thinking this would be a double. You know, I looked at a Premiership team. <laughs> we lost our first 19 games in a row, I think. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I got a rude awakening. Managed well, the to, blame uh, didn't fall uh, solely on you from everyone around. <laughs> well, sure fortunately not, part. no. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, you get squeaky bum time, don't you? And, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, can't win a, you can't buy a win. <laughs> and uh, so that opens your eyes a lot. And luckily, we, we turned things around and, and had a really, really good, strong end to the season and, and um, made the playoffs that season. And uh, uh, So, yeah, unfortunately, they had a the, the money sort of dried up and I got made redundant from there. So through that again, another couple of twists and turns. I got a job down at Worcester Warriors um, back in the premiership with rugby. Um, I was there nearly four years. That was really enjoying my time there or the vast majority of my time there. Uh, after that, worked at Stoke City for a, a little bit uh, with their academy and then moved back up back up to Manchester with, with British Cycling. So I started there in 2014. So how did you end up so, going from rugby and moving into cycling? Well, uh, uh, without sort of speaking out to you, my, my, 
a number of things. So I wanted to move back to to Manchester, uh, but the main the main reason was the, the end at Worcester Warriors didn't didn't end uh, particularly well. Okay. Um, the, the the coach that this is like a professional sport really. Uh, everyone has a kind of uh, rose tinted view of it, but you know you you move your entire family down somewhere like Worcester, you move your life move your your life down there. You know, you, your wife has to leave a job, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and you know the head coach gets sacked. They bring a new coach in, and uh, you know doesn't like you for whatever reason. Wants to bring his own guys in, and then you go. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's very so, cutthroat. Yeah. Industry. Oh, big time. You know. Um, Got you. And that was that was as simple as that. So uh, yeah, that that happened. And then have you worked with cyclists ever since then? Yeah, pretty well. Oh, no, sorry, that was a very very short period in football. Um, sorry. Yeah. I actually, I actually applied for the. the <laughs> I actually applied for the role at British Cycling the day I started at Stoke City. Okay. But um, so yeah, football's not my thing really, and uh, I kind of knew that I wouldn't. I didn't really want that position. Got thrust okay. into it. But uh, yeah, so I've worked with cyclists ever since then. Right. Um, so you're a cyclist yourself? Uh, beyond sort of commuting to work, no, not really. Okay. Um, so my my original role at British Cycling was uh, with sprinters and BMXs. So I was I was interested right. in the, you know the, the speed and power side of things. Um, you know, lifting, you know, watching, you know, relatively small people lift absolutely massive weights yeah. is uh, is quite a thing to see, <laughs> and uh, that's what you get when you're working with track sprinters. That the, the, the strength is just absolutely unbelievable. You know, eighty kilo guys squatting two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty kilos. It's it's uh, yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. I think even more so, like I say, when it's small guys, you see a big rugby guy and you kind of expect them to be lifting massive weights, don't you? But you're right, when you see yeah. someone tiny, you wear 70 kilos lifting three times the body weight. Yeah, yeah. It's a sight to see. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing, yeah. So what did your work involve then? Obviously, you joined British Cycling and you started working with the, the BMX sprinters, you said, didn't you? Yeah. How, what sort of things did you tend to do with the teams then? So what would your day-to-day, week-to-week role look like? Um... So uh, again, it's, it's quite difficult to sort of know because it, it evolves, but like the, the roles evolve, and you work with different disciplines and different, you know, different teams and, and what have you. But essentially, it was, it was planning the strength training for the cyclists around the Olympic cycle. So uh, I started, as I said, in 2014. Yeah, just over two years before Rio, um, I started assisting a guy called Martin Evans, who was the lead strength and conditioning coach at the time. Um, with the with the with the track sprinters and the BMXers, um, I think I worked with the endurance cyclists a little bit at that time, but then that somebody else took over that role. Um, and then a little while later, I started working. I uh, headed up the Paralympic uh, program and yeah. started working with them. So my, my role was split between working with assisting Martin with the the podium um, BMXer sprinters, uh, running the the sprinter BMX academy, and then working with the Paralympic guy. So. Well, it had two separate roles, basically. I just lost you in that. The beginning of that sentence, sorry, they completely sorry, cut out. You want my repeating what you just said, would you? Uh, I can't remember. I was winging yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, sorry, mate, you were saying you yeah. had two roles. What, what yeah, were the two, two roles? Two roles, so yeah, I, I had, you know, working with the, the able-bodied track sprinters and BMXers, uh, working okay. with, you know, from podium down to academy level uh, and lower, you know, junior and apprentice level, and then also started working with the Paralympic guys. Right, um, okay. and then then you've got all the different support personnel and coaches that kind of come with those different teams as well. Of course. So yeah. how 
Oh, yeah, I mean, there's so many questions I couldn't ask you, but I think it, it makes sense to start talking about the Paralympians now. You've kind of brought yeah. them up then. How do you, when you've got a, a typical BMX uh, athlete or you've got a cyclist, they're able-bodied and it's very obvious yeah. you do typical programs with you with them. Yep. How do you go about adapting that for a Paralympian who might not have an arm or might not have a leg or, you know, have all sorts of, of disabilities? What? How does that work? Um, well, there's... A, well, you've got to understand what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, they talk about, you know, principles, not exercises and things like that. So ultimately, you want to be able to develop a lot of force through the quads predominantly, um, yeah. minimize the, you know, the the kind of imbalances and protect other parts of the body. So with that in mind, you can kind of work around, you know, if, if somebody's got one leg, they can't squat with a bar very easily. So, you know, what can you do? What else can you do around there? Uh, limitations or disabilities um, to be able to you know achieve what you need to achieve yeah um, and it, it's it's in, so in that respect it's a kind of more um, you think outside the box quite a bit more than than you would the sort of general population or uh, an able-bodied athlete yeah which is which is quite good it's you know that's the interesting part of it um, we also had so predominantly with with the British cycling there's a lot of uh, visually impaired athletes. Okay. So, so fifty percent of them are able-bodied because they're tandem pilots. So that's relatively easy. Yeah. Well, straightforward, not easy. Yeah. Um, the visually impaired athletes themselves, other than the fact they can't see very well, <laughs> um, they have no limitations in what they can do training-wise. So again, yeah. it's not a lot of difference. And then. Um, a lot of the other disabilities are things like uh, cerebral palsy and neurological conditions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have, they're, they're the ones that are more thought provoking because their uh, disabilities can fluctuate depending on how fatigued there are, atmospheric conditions and things like that. Okay. Um, so you know, the deeper into a training block they get, the more fatigue they get, the more pronounced some of their disabilities may become. Okay. Uh, if they're stressed or if the weather's cold, it affects them neurologically, then again, it can it can completely change on a session by session or even within a session. So how would you go about adapting those sessions, session to session and then within the session? Would you just have to be, and the athlete would have to be really flexible with what they do? How, how would you adapt that on the fly? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you just go with what you see. So um, don't, you know, you don't have to stick rigidly to what you've planned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I'm saying all this, but you know, fortunately, this never really happened very much. So, um, but if if you've got you know someone with CP and they're on a, a leg press, for example, um, we had a guy called Louis Rolf. I used to leg press a lot, so you know his his left leg might be the wrong way around now, but I think his left leg was was you know, significantly stronger than his right, um, and he just kept you know falling into valgus and have a sort of really funny position of his ankle and things like that. Yeah, um, you've got to try and just exercise that as best you can. So you, you're you're limiting his weakness rather than maximizing his strengths. If that kind of makes sense on on some yeah. of those movements and exercises. So you're um, trying to build up that weaker leg and trying to strengthen up that weaker movement and that weaker position that he gets yeah. into. And, and you've got to be you've got to be relatively flexible. You know, you're never going to get perfect technique and perfect form. So you, as long as it's yeah safe then that's good enough yes got it and then moving on yeah 
and you, you bring in other assistance exercises and other things like that that they can do just to try and get it as good as possible. Yeah, of course, and get it as good as it can be for, for the person. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing that kind of fascinates me is the mindset around it where you can think like, and everybody, myself included, has, has times where you feel demotivated or you can't be bothered today yeah. or you might make X, Y, Z excuses. I can yeah. imagine it was amazing working with people with disabilities like that, either in like sight impairments or with um, cerebral palsy, like you've said. What yeah, sort of yeah. lessons did you learn from the mindset point of view working with amazing people like that who obviously just don't make any excuses, I imagine, and crack on? What sort of stories and lessons did you learn from them around that side of things? Um. Before starting that role, I, I, I don't know, I never really, never really kind of interacted with anybody um, with a disability like that. So there's, there's a, it broke down a lot of barriers from my point of view. And I just let me kind of talk more, more openly about their disability, obviously yeah. without wanting to embarrass them or anything like that. But um, just trying to converse with, with people like that about the disability, what they, you know, what they found uh, good, what they find bad, what they find easy, what they find difficult, uh, and why, um, things like that. There's, there's only one. There is there is one. There's a guy called David Smith. Have you heard of David Smith? I've not. No. No. I mean, look him up. Um, he's probably okay. the most amazing person I've ever met in my entire life. I'm writing um, his name down so, now. So yeah. He, um, so he cut a long story short. He's he's competed in a variety of sports. Uh, from a young age, I think karate, track and field, I mean, 400 metres. He narrowly missed out uh, on the Winter Olympics going for the uh, bobsled team uh, and collapsed after his trial. Found out he got a tumour growing into his spinal cord. My lord. Um, he's had multiple operations to try and remove it and it just keeps growing back. Um, the silver lining on that, I guess, is that he qualified as a Paralympian and, then, and won a gold in Rio as, as a rower. Wow. And then he's recently taken up. He had a dream of trying to get to Rio, but um, took up cycling uh, to sort of try and fulfil that real, uh, uh, fulfil that dream. Um, but unfortunately, the tumour kept growing back. And just his, uh, I went to, remember going to a conference, and he was a keynote speaker. And a room of, of three hundred hungover strength and conditioning coaches were in tears, like listening to the guy, wow. um, sort of go through. What, it, what he's gone through um, and he's probably the most inspirational person that I've ever kind of had the, had the op, uh, opportunity to coach and yeah w without sort of going into it too much I, I, I look up look him up on YouTube and look him up you know on, on social media and stuff and look at some of the stuff he's done and uh, the way he speaks about himself is absolutely amazing he sounds like an amazing guy. So I imagine that spending time with someone like him day to day, you must have like picked up lessons and nuances and stuff from him. Does anything spring to mind? I've got to say, no, not really. Okay, <laughs> so no, that's good. That's good. Cool. It, it, there's, there's no like sort of music, uh, movie, um, like, oh, is that inspirational? He said this to me, he said that to me. It's just the you way what, they, that's a the way they just, yourself. yeah, the way they just sort of crack on. And just get on with stuff. I mean, I remember he's, he's had a couple of episodes since, I think, but he had, um, he had to have an operation uh, you know, just before I left British Cycling, which, which left him, uh, it left him paralysed, effectively, from the, from the neck down, and he's had to learn to, to walk again. Um, but he never got the sensation back in his arm, so he's left him basically without the use of, of one of his arms. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and it's just, yeah, right, well, I'll just I'll ride a trike then, or I'll just do this then, or I'll just crack on, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> just yeah. constantly thinking about yeah straight on to the next thing yeah and the fact it's not it's not like this emotional kind of big speech thing is what is so inspirational I think yeah yeah, yeah. of course he's just very normal almost by the sound of it in that he yeah. just kind of crack on today crack on today well what can I do yeah, absolutely yeah I think when you hear about people like that, it, it's massively inspirational for us, you know, as people who don't really have any real problems. Like, yeah, you might have a few time issues, like you might have to work long hours, you might sometimes be a bit stressed, but it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When you can't be bothered training or you can't be bothered going for a ride, like really, yeah. we don't have issues compared to, to people like that. Yeah. <laughs> when we were at this conference, this one where everyone was crying, so it was... I was sat next to a guy called Dan Hentry, who's um, one of the Paralympic coaches now. But at the time, he was a physiologist. Um, and Davey was making a speech about how he'd had his operation and he was completely, he was paralysed. Um, and, you know, he was, he was trying to fight to make it to the London Olympics as a rower and, you know, he couldn't walk to the end of the gardens, you know. And he was thinking he had this goal to make it to the fence post and how he took it, like, every, every day he did, like, an extra step and... How he just sort of fight so hard to get there, and, and like I say, everyone was crying. <laughs> and the guy, this Dan next to me, was like shaking his head. He said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, Well, Dan, what's wrong? He said, Well, you know, everyone's saying about all this story, you know. And I was meant to go out for a ride with him last Saturday, and I cried off because it was raining. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That just yeah. puts it. In there you go. Then that does put it into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So one, it's kind of tied into what we're talking about right now. One question I've asked a few of the other strength coaches who work with pro cyclists and just pro athletes in general is what separates a pro athlete from your everyday, your everyday cyclist, your everyday, your everyday person really like me and you. Um, so what separates the pros from, so, um, uh, an Olympic cyclist, for example, what separates those from somebody just like me and you who might be just into the sport recreationally? They're into training, they train hard, but what's the difference between the two? Um, well, like I said, I've listened to a number of your other podcasts and it probably comes down to the same sort of thing. It's probably yeah. just mindset. Yeah. Um, someone like, well, you, I think you've got people who have the ability to push themselves for, say, four years to, to an, an Olympics and then they get to the Olympics, they achieve what they want to achieve and then that's it done. And if, But working within an organisation like British Cycling, you've got people, Jason Kenny, Ed Clancy, people like that that have, that have achieved that over multiple Olympic cycles. Yeah. And what they do is that's not the end of the road for them. That's still part of the journey. Yeah. And they're able then to kind of reframe the next four years and, and you know, the knowledge they're going to put themselves in a hole for a large part of that. Yeah. Um, and you just sort of embrace the grind. I think they say in, like in wrestling and MMA and things like that, you know, yeah. enjoy the journey rather than the destination. Okay. So, you, so I suppose what you're saying there is between the difference almost between the two different types of Olympians and the ones who just do one cycle and then after that first one they're done and the ones who keep going again and again and again yeah. is that yeah. they focus more on enjoying the process and the four years of training rather than it being just all about the event yeah i would probably say so yeah i assume everyone's different but that's what kind of comes cool. across to me you know yeah yeah for when sure you the, when you build yourself up to something like the olympics um they talk about kind of like medalist remorse and things like that and a lot of a lot of medalists have been privileged to sort of speak to they actually feel quite depressed after 
even though they've achieved the pinnacle of what they wanted to achieve, they've had a period of almost like mourning. Okay. Um, where they're struggling to kind of come back to kind of normality. And I think the ones that can do that better and quicker are those that are able then to, to go again. Got you. So yeah. applying that to your everyday riders, so people outside of the Olympics who aren't going for such huge goals, who just ride two or three times a week. I mean, one thing, like you say, you've listened to a couple of podcasts, you've probably heard me say it. Yeah. I'm kind of a big believer in having a goal to work towards. So if you are just yeah. an everyday rider, like the vast majority of my audience, having something to work towards, like entering an event or entering a race or something is really great you know, to have yeah. an aim. Um, yeah. What sort of lessons have you learned or what can you teach that's been, that you can apply from working with Olympians and apply those to your everyday rider? Is there anything that springs to mind? Um, well, in terms of, in terms of goal setting, and there's the, the, the standard things that you might've heard before to like smart goals and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, specific, measurable, uh, achievable, realistic and time phase. Um, and then, uh, now I think I might get this wrong, but I think it's Nissan that introduced, so that they introduced these smart goals to their factories in Japan and what have you. And they, they found that people who implemented effectively their smart goals kind of worked within themselves quite a lot. Okay. So people like, people like ticking off, you know, they've done that, they tick off something on the list. So to, to do that as part of a smart goal, they may, um, have a goal of something they know they can achieve. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a case of getting that little dopamine release of when they when they tick something off. Yeah, done that. You know, uh, look at an email. Yeah, done that. <laughs> yeah. Go out for our ride. Done that. So what I think they introduced was they had their sort of standard smart goals. They also had to have a stretch goal, something yeah. that you know. Right, I want to win the gold medal. <laughs> Okay. There's something that stretched them, something that they, you know, was likely they wouldn't achieve. Yeah. But the, you know, aim for the aim for the moon, you might land among the stars, sort of idea. Yeah. Which I kind of buy into a little bit, but then I've also uh, there's a, there's a book called Finish called um, by I think it's John Acuff. Okay. Uh, so it's about it's the opposite of that, effectively. <laughs> so it's about um, you know millions of people start something uh but rarely finish it yeah. um, so what his advice is the opposite of what i've just told you <laughs> it's uh you know don't don't aim to do a don't aim to do a a, a sport team or something like that just do you know a ride around the block okay um and then once you've got that you you've got that you, you'll get the book okay right next time you know you look at two rides around the block yeah so it's it's to start in the little stepping stones under undercook things do less than you think you probably could do because most people become perfectionists when they have a goal like that they become it's not good enough to to do a marathon for example yeah. they have to do an iron man yeah you know, and they, they go and they, they can't just do it they have to do it within a certain time and, and then it becomes a bit too much and people just don't then they, they crumble and they don't do it i think there's probably a really fine balance between it could be, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that you always need to have something to work towards and you always need to be aimed to be improving yourself and achieving that next yeah. goal. And there's yeah. a fine line between that motivating you and making you happy because you always feel like you're growing and you're pursuing that next thing. And yeah. then just going too far with it and just being permanently unhappy because you always feel like you can never achieve enough. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's it's a fine balance really between getting those two things for always striving for progress and striving for that next goal. And as soon as you do achieve a goal, I think setting another one, but then being happy with that process rather than like you've said there, where people are never happy and they just always want the next thing and end up miserable because of it. Yeah, probably big time. Yeah, <coughs> uh, and then you know reframing what what you're doing it for. Okay, so, so for for yeah, example. Um, if your goal is to, I don't know, uh, going back to running for some for some reason. If your goal is yeah, to run a marathon, right. you know, what are you running that marathon for? Is it is it for you, or is it for so you can tell people you run a marathon, or the adulation of other people and things like that? And, yeah, you know, find out what truly matters because if it's for the latter uh, and the, the goal isn't really for you, then when things start to crumble, you're not actually that bothered about it. Yeah. If you know, but if the goal is to to be healthier and to lose weight and so you can play with your children more, yeah. then you might then if, if something goes wrong with your training for the marathon, you might be able to simply reframe what you're doing and do something else instead that still allows yeah. you to achieve that goal, but isn't necessarily that what you've set out to achieve in the first place. Yeah, it's about finding out your why behind it and your reason rather than it being just about the goal. Have you uh, have you read the book? Uh, start with why. Certainly have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, book, so, yeah. yeah. yeah it's a good, great book. I really, I really like that guy. So for those listening, start like Simon Sinek is all about finding the. He does a lot of business coaching, doesn't he? But he's all yeah, about yeah. starting with why, as you'd imagine. So yeah. it's not necessarily about the goal. It's about the reason that you're doing it. I'll tell you a great example. We were talking about him just before we actually came on live on the podcast uh, about Milo Mackin, the guy who was one of the three winners for SAS, uh, and his big motivator. Uh, you obviously know this story and the people who've listened to the podcast or watched the program will but his brother died when i believe he was 16 uh he was killed in an ied in afghanistan and his big motivator for entering the sas program and you know he ended up winning it was just making his brother proud and doing it for him and you can't get a much bigger why than that so when other people were stopping and failing and handing their armband in he had such a big why that he carried on and have there have there ever been any big whys that you can think of with any athletes that you've worked with over the past few years? You don't have to name any names, but are there any that stand out like Milo? Not that I'm aware of. No, I guess um, it, that's quite a personal thing, isn't it? You know, when you get, yeah. so you get something as deep as that. Um, uh, no, not really. Internal drivers. Yeah, it's it's all about that internal drive. You're right, isn't it? And about the personal wise. So let's talk a little bit about training and about weight training and about your bread and butter strength and conditioning. So start with a really, really basic, simple question. And for those listening, why? Well, first, I know your answer to this, but do you think that cyclists should lift weights and why? Well, my my business is for cyclists who should lift weights so uh, the answer to that i think is obvious yeah so i yeah. mean the it, cycling is a, well endurance sport generally but i think particularly cycling is is a funny sport because the, the research showing you know unequivocally that um cyclists benefit from lifting weights for a variety of reasons it's been out there but it's been out for a long time yeah. um but it's just not it's not it's something that's just not within the culture of cycling um, yeah. So a large yeah, part so. of what um, I'm doing for the enlightened cyclists <laughs> that come and uh, come and see us to train is is to get them to sort of spread that word um, and kind of breaking down a lot of the 
the myths and misconceptions uh, that surround strength training. And what are some of those? Um, well, so some of the myths are that you know it, it does things like it, it makes you heavy. You know, you lift you lift a weight and it makes you heavy. Yeah. Um, so obviously, for a cyclist, you know their their mass and their you know power to weight ratio and things like that are quite important. Um, more for the, I guess more so for the cyclists that I train rather than the cyclists you train. I would imagine, um, yeah. especially if you're training downhillers. So for road cyclists and people like that that I train. You know, they become morbid fear of putting weight on. Yeah. Um, whereas, in, in actuality, because they're, they're doing endurance activities, you know, for hours per week, yeah, the the, the ability for them to put weight on is is really small. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, you know, and in fact, the vast majority of clients that I and cyclists that I coach l- lose weight when they start weight training okay um so yeah getting them to spread the word yeah the next one is that you know weight training makes you slow um again i don't that was that's more of a football thing than the, the particular cyclist thing but you know okay. you think, well, why do why does usain bolt do weight training then <laughs> you know uh all these other strength and power athletes so that's the next one and then the final one is it it really is it it kind of leads to injury yeah um and again, there's so much strong evidence that that being strong a limits your chance of getting injury in the fir- injured in the first place, and yeah. b should you become injured, you recover from that injury so much quicker than, than weaker similar yeah. athletes. So that there are a lot of the myths, and then because of um, I guess the the how diverse resistance training can be, there's loads of there's misconceptions around what the best things to do. So you see, typically you see, right, I'm going to do my, well, firstly you see, right, well, in the summer I'm, I'm out on the bike, I'm not going to do any weight training. I've done my, done my training now. And then when the next winter comes along, that's the time to do strength training. Um, so that's a, a massive misconception because, you know, you, you lose what you've gained rather quickly. <laughs> yeah. So if you stop training, you know, you lose, even, even a well-trained athlete will lose strength within two weeks of not doing any strength training. So, it's something you need to do and you need to do regularly. Yeah. Um, which leads on to, okay, well, if I'm just doing it in the summer, I need to go absolutely balls out and, and you know, hobble out of the gym, barely being able to walk. I've trained that hard. <laughs> um, which, again, it, it puts a lot of people off because obviously that makes them sore and stiff and they might get injured and things like that. It affects the subsequent on-bike training. So, um, have you heard of like the like windows of opportunity, windows of adaptation, and things like that? Yeah, but um, yeah. you do explain it though. Yeah. So, obviously, you know, as a cyclist and as an you know experienced cyclist, to get a better at your cycling, you have to do a lot more cycling. Um, but because you're relatively novice in the gym, in likelihood, you don't need to do very much to get better. So yeah. you have a large window of opportunity to get better at your gym training, but a, a small window of opportunity to get better at cycling training. Yeah. Um, so y- you have you can get far more bang for your buck, uh, and and you can do a gym session in you know forty five minutes to an hour and get a really good session out of it. Versus, you know, six three four hours, hours on the road. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's far more time efficient as well. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is is that people try and mimic what they're doing on the bike. So. Um, 
well, I'm going out for a, you know, I need to be able to do lots of reps. I'm an endurance cyclist, so therefore, I'll I'll do lift a really light weight and I'll do it, you know, 50, 60 times. Yeah. Um, when really that's not the goal. You're not trying to mimic the sport. You're trying to develop the physical characteristics that that underpin the sport. Yeah. Um. So, you know, and I was just saying this to somebody the other day that. Yeah, if you do a you do a gym session and you say right, we're going to do five sets of fifty squats. That's a monster gym session. You be you wouldn't be able to walk after it. Definitely wouldn't be going for a ride. <laughs> exactly, but it, it's it's two hundred and fifty. You know, five times fifty is two hundred and fifty reps. Yeah, you, you do two hundred and fifty revolutions on the pedal in three minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, they don't marry up, do they? So, um, you're not you're not trying to do that. What you're trying to do is develop force through the relevant joints. And muscles to be able to pedal effectively and efficiently and powerfully. Um, so there you go. That's that's the yeah, rationale. Yeah, no, that's behind. great. Yeah. So yeah. with your uh, with your second point there, you talked about training through the winter and training through the summer. Um, yeah. And I, I completely agree. Like I obviously one of the massive focuses of MTB Fitness is getting mountain bikers to to lift weights and to train and to continue doing that all year round. Um, yeah. So what what's your ideal mix then for I think rather than for your competitive cyclists for your everyday rider who just enjoys riding and they naturally end up riding more in the summer because the the weather's better. Um, or for my listeners who are in America. America, they can't ride in the summer so they tend to be in the gym in the uh, yeah. winter and then in the summer they'll uh, be out riding more so how many times yeah. a week should they be lifting weights in your opinion uh, both in the winter and in the summer what's the right kind of mix and I know it's completely variable yeah. so just kind of blank <laughs> <Yeah. out. laughs> um, well, I, I think of it like a like a graphic equalizer so when one thing increases in in volume, you're sliding something up the graphic equalizer. You can't have everything up to the max because it sounds like shit. So okay. when one one thing slide up, so you're in the summer, yeah, like you say, naturally you want to be out. It's an outdoor sport. That's what cyclists enjoy. So and naturally, when I want to be out on the bike, so yeah. the frequency and the volume of your cycling, outdoor cycling, is going to increase. Therefore, you're not going to do two or three gym sessions a week because it's going to interfere. So that needs to slide down a bit. Yeah. So, um, with a lot of the endurance guys at BC, they had a history of being a bit kind of uh, a bit yo-yo like that, a bit um, boom and bust. Um, so they do, you know, we get them in do the gym. You'd increase some of the numbers. You get them stronger. You get them over the DOMS when you first start, and then they go to a camp or they go on a competition block, yeah. not train for a month. And come back, and then you haven't so much like start again. You know, you've got the initial doms again. You've got to go, oh, what was that exercise? And yeah, uh, you, you've dropped back two or three levels, and you've got to work for two or three weeks to get back to where you were before you left, and things like that. So, yeah, we then said, look, can you at least do something once every once every seven to ten days, just right. to keep it ticking over? Um, which then allowed them then, you know, they didn't have the doms when they came back. They knew what they were doing and they could push on from where they left off from rather yeah. than effectively having to start again. Um, but in, in, the, in the winter, when you're not on your bike as much and um, the weather's not as good, then that flips around. You know, your volume of cycling comes down and then maybe your volume of and intensity, maybe of your strength training increases. So there's happy medium. Um, the majority of my clients train anywhere between like one and three times per week, depending on yeah you know, what their goals are and what they're able to do and what they can commit to. 
And how many times a week, do, again, I know it's different for everybody, but how many times a week would they be riding? So if they train one to three times, let's say it's in the winter, which we're kind of in now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, let's say they train one to three times a week in the gym. How many times would they typically be riding, doing interval training, doing that kind of thing? Um, again, it depends on how keen they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most, you know, most riders go for like a social ride or a sports eve or something of a weekend. Yeah. quite a lot of my riders go like Saturday and Sunday so they'll do a couple of rides over a weekend and then depending on how they work they might do you know an indoor an indoor um, Zwift ride or something like that through the week yeah uh, or go or go out for a shorter ride uh, so anywhere between sort of two and four rides a week yeah so your your uh, cyclists yeah. are very similar to kind of the people I work with the only difference is it's it's a mountain biking rather than road cycling really yeah, it sounds yeah, pretty not, similar yeah, the principles are the same absolutely yeah definitely um it was interesting what you said there about doing you know just once every seven to day seven to ten days do something um so yeah. to say for people who have six weeks in the summer yeah you know, let, let's take it to the to the extreme and somebody goes riding in whistler for six weeks not that much yeah. of my audience do that just <laughs> training seven days a week you would say is what like enough to maintain those strength levels and not to detrain and to lose all your progress so i miss what you said there so are you Sorry. saying they go away for a long period of time and then are you saying so, while they're doing that doing something every seven to ten days yeah so let's say that, um, let's say a typical rider has six weeks in the summer where the weather's amazing yeah. oh. you're still out as much as possible your advice yeah. for those people would be to do oh sorry mate can you hear me I got you back again now. Yeah, you just completely dropped out for. A oh, sorry, minutes. mate. I'm about now. Yeah, got you, mate. Yeah. Ah, perfect. Yeah, sorry. I'll say that again. Um, so what I was saying is, for those riders who, when the summer hits and it's four to six weeks of amazing weather, and they want to go riding every day, every every other day, your advice to them, rather than be stop weight training completely, and on the flip side of it, of doing too much, would yeah. be to just do something every seven to ten days in the gym, and that's enough to maintain your strength and to to stop yourself losing that progress. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Perfect. So what kind of work do you, do, or what, what would you advise for riders to not get injured? So on the injury prevention side of things? Um, well, good question. So I, I, I have a, you know, a relatively standard sort of program that I put most cyclists on. Um, when so I initially start with like a movement screen and just look at the strengths and weaknesses and, and things like that. So I normally do three lower body lifts which will be a okay. split leg lunging or a split squat type exercise, a hip hinge exercise, so like a Romanian deadlift or something like that, and then a squatting exercise. And then that's that's supported then by some trunk work. Um, then as they get better, they'll layer in, you know, some upper body pushing and pulling and, and things like that. So yeah. um, I, I'd start off lighter and less reps than you think yeah uh, and then gradually build it up from there so you know the temptation is just to dive and i want to do a bit more i want to do this a bit more. yeah um do less than you think it'll still it'll still kind of affect you um but then you slowly progress from there those three main moves um hit all the right kind of muscle groups in the right way uh, and they can be loaded in a variety of ways um through you know with dumbbells with bars with bands with kettlebells with anything you can yeah. do different rep schemes and things like that so they're a great catch-all um 
Yeah. So yeah. No, that's great. So you said before it was it was as part of one of the myths in that some people believe that weight training increases your risk of injury. Obviously, the the truth is the complete opposite. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, certainly for so the the majority of recreational cyclists will um, have a sedentary job. Most of them, so they're either in the car driving around, yeah. or, or um, an office type job where they sat down a lot. And then their kind of sport of choice is is a sport where you sat down a lot, <laughs> even yeah. though you're pedaling. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, cyclists, you know, have typically you know rather large quads and next to no hamstrings or glutes yeah um, and they're in a kind of bent over flex position for long periods of time so they get really really weak lower backs really really tight hip flexors weak abdominals um very very strong quads and very very weak hamstrings which obviously you know doesn't take a rocket scientist to know it's not going to be great for your knees yeah so what we can do with strength and conditioning coaches is kind of undo what cycling does so we we can loosen off the tight areas and we can strengthen the weak areas to kind of balance things out a little bit and you know as, a, as an SSC coach for cycling that's what you're doing most of the time is reducing imbalances loosening off tight areas strengthening weak areas yeah. uh, and then only at the end you know there's only you know put an extra kind of five percent power through you know through their quads or whatever it might be yeah um and then, yeah, so, you, you know, I'm, I focus around lower back and knees, the, the main areas. Um, so, yeah, with, with those imbalances, especially really, really strong quads, you, you go to what you're strong at. So when you're yeah. squatting, for example, great exercise, but a lot of cyclists have a really, really quad-dominant knee-forward squatting pattern. Yeah. So they put in a shear load across their patella tendon, which is also under strain when they're pedaling. So you're getting double whammy, so you can irritate the, the knees. Yeah. So just, just you know, changing the technique has a, has a double benefit. It puts less strain through the knees, and it strengthens up the posterior chain. So you're getting a double benefit there. Yeah, got you. So you, you've, you've obviously said that it's all about getting rid of those imbalances that you build up on the bike because you are yeah. using your body in completely imbalanced ways when you're cycling, and working off the bike can help you correct that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. for any cyclists in general, mountain bikers, road cyclists who are listening to this, who are still on the fence about whether or not they should weight train, obviously me and you both know that they should, <laughs> um, what are some of the really obvious benefits that they might not think about that they're going to see, if they start weight training, what are the benefits that they're going to see on the bike? Well, the first one it will be is it will be more comfortable. So, um well, more comfortable off the bike initially because then, like you say, yeah, you, you're, not, you're not walking around with, you know, in a hunch about back, killing after a long ride or my knees are killing. So that helps. Um, again, people have a misconception that, that weight training makes you stiff and inflexible. When again, in reality, it makes you more, fle- if you're done properly, it makes you more flexible. So yeah. you have a great, over time, you have a greater ability to um, get into positions on the bike and um, so so riding it's generally becomes more comfortable you can yeah, hold yeah. A, a, an aero position or a racing position for longer periods of time without it, it feeling you know horrendous yeah so they're, they're the initial things um and you just become more robust so I, again you know another yes another misconception is i don't want to i don't want to you know 
take time away from the riding to, to devote to gym. Yeah. Whereas, you know, again, if it's done properly, you can get a good session in, in under an hour, but it, it makes you more robust. You, you're less likely to get injured. So yeah. it actually gives you more time on the bike <laughs> Yeah, because you're not off it injured, yeah? yeah. So, and you're um, recovering faster. And... Yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, so once, you, once you've done those things, the majority of people you know, notice the difference, you know, either, either in the kind of higher end stuff, so sprints or hills. Mm. Um, that's when they first start to know, think, oh, they can hold, you know, they become more efficient, so they can hold a higher power for longer. Yeah. Um, now I've, I've had clients, you know, who who trained for an event, yeah, uh, and then you know got a time or whatever, and then they've seen me over the winter and just done the same course as a training ride, uh, and and beaten the PB, <laughs> and, it, and it's felt <laughs> relatively sure easy. They were cycling you know. less as well when they got those improvements. Hundred percent, yeah. And how did that happen? You know, because you're more efficient at what you're doing. You know, you can you can hold a higher gear at the same cadence. And, yeah, you know, yeah. So uh, I think, but these I things think with the time up on, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. No, yeah. no, no. Don't be sorry. Yeah, they yeah. do. I totally agree. Um, I think what you said about the timing thing there is so true as well. In that, I'll hear the exact same thing where riders don't want to go to the gym because they want to be out on the mountain bike and they don't want to yeah. give up a Sunday ride in to go to the gym. And the reality is that you can fit it into other areas of your life where you wouldn't be riding anyway. Say if you've got an hour lunch break at work and you live a five minute walk from a gym, you can do a half an hour wait session in that lunch break twice a week and there's no way you'd be riding in that time. So okay. it, it's a bit of a misconception and almost an excuse really that you don't yeah. want to give up riding time because yeah. you fit it in places that you just wouldn't be riding anyway 100 i think you know i think um it comes to, from our point of view as, as we're going to business people and strength and conditioning coaches we've got to get the word out there because people need to kind of understand it and believe it uh, and what's the phrase you know if you if you really want something you'll find a way and if you don't yeah. really want something you'll find an excuse and that's what yeah. a lot of people do yeah yeah, I totally agree. I had a client in late last night. It was a 7 p.m. session. Uh, he does a bit of everything, really. He does cycling. He does swimming. Uh, he just likes to do all-around events. And he's also yeah. got a new business, which is rapidly growing. So he's working all hours. And yeah, yeah. about five times through the session, he was like, oh, Matt, I'm really, I'm not enjoying it tonight. I'm not enjoying it. And I was like, you don't need to be enjoying it, but you're here and you're doing it and you're here for the result. <laughs> right? And that's like, yeah, that's, yeah. like that's much like, you know, you know, I think people like obviously we love cycling. Any ride, even if it's a hard interval session when you're out on the bike or it's a hard effort, you still enjoy it because you're on the bike. Um, yeah. And I'm sure me and you enjoy weight training, but not everybody does. But it's it's about doing it for doing it for the result. Like you probably don't enjoy tidying the house, but you want a tidy house, so you tidy the house. <laughs> yeah, you probably yeah, yeah. don't enjoy yeah. cooking, but you want to eat healthy, so you cook. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. even if you don't enjoy weight training, I just think doing it because you have to do it and because you want the results and you just suck it up and do it and then chances are you'll probably start enjoying it anyway yeah i was i agree with you to a point i think that a lot of a lot of people i coach whether it's just my amazing coaching or not i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> um but strength strength training is great because you can we can frame it so you, you get success in virtually every session you know, on a ride, you could go for a three, four hour ride and, you know, not beat your time from the previous time. And it feels like that three hour session was, wasn't what it could have been and that kind of depressing. But within a, within a training session, it can be framed. So, you know, you, you got more reps than last time. You lifted a heavier weight than last time or you did it in a shorter time than last time. Um, and yeah. so that kind of 
feeling of, of getting better and being successful and then eventually being able to relate to how that feels on the bike yeah um really kind of catches a lot of my cycling clients kind yeah, of, totally um, agree. not by surprise but they didn't oh yeah i didn't realize i enjoy it like is this this much yeah um i mean that's why you know that's what i definitely found yeah as well i think a lot of people think they don't enjoy the gym whereas in reality they do so like my client last night like almost all, all the times in the gym he generally enjoys training he was just yesterday yeah. not eating enough food and had a really stressful yeah, yeah. day like da, 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 da. but i think people often tell themselves that they don't enjoy the gym but they've never actually done it like almost anyone who says they hate the gym hasn't been for a four-week period three times a week they generally yeah. like don't like the idea of it or they've gone once had a gym induction done a crap program and then not seeing anything yeah. from it but i think if you're doing the right thing yeah. you know it's going to benefit your riding yeah, you, you, yeah. you tend to enjoy it yeah so i think a really great way to end the podcast and i'm going to put you on your on the uh, on the spot again now <laughs> what are three tips um that you would like to give the audience it can be things you've already said uh three tips that you'd like to give the audience uh, to end on um, well, the, the first one is probably just, yeah, think about why you're doing what you're doing uh, and what you want to get out of it. Um, yeah. Then you'll do things to support that. So, you know, if, if you're a rider and you, you literally just want to have fun on the bike, then, you know, maybe strength training or supporting things like that is not the right for you. But if, if you're competitive or you want to limit minor injury, then, you know, strength training, other things like that are, um, are what you probably need to do to, to kind of underpin your ultimate goal yeah um so over above that if that's what you decide to do then you know start easy um i used to read that in books when i was when i was kids like ah, i just go in like an advanced level i'll try this <laughs> <laughs> and i think the older you get the more you realize yeah start easy <laughs> i am uh, <laughs> i'm gonna end up putting it in on you now but i so i've got a 12-week program that ever i advise everybody start on and then a 16-week yeah. advanced program that people move yeah. on to and always uh, i have people sorry i just banned the microphone always i have people message me who've never like weight trained before and they want to start on the 16-week advanced plan because yeah. the fit it's like no yeah. start on the 12-week one yeah. <laughs> let's start yeah. with the basics uh, sorry so yeah your yeah, first good, one was good understanding why yeah, understand you why you know uh, quite cliche now, but I think it's it's important. Yeah. Um, start easy or the the old kiss simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Um, I think again, again, go off on a bit of a tangent. I yeah yeah. Uh, the older I've got, my programs become simpler and simpler and simpler. Okay. Um, I remember when I was working at Sail Sharks, I actually researched. Uh, I, I typed in cruel and unusual exercises <laughs> and uh yeah i was trying to search, you'd search youtube for that and things like that you know. what came up what, what did you end up doing oh uh, i found a book called dinosaur training <laughs> yeah. okay and it was like uh, it must have been written for like prisoners or something so <laughs> body weight training that was like just really difficult <laughs> and they, one of the best ones they had um uh, they're called plumbers pull-ups right Never so if you imagine like, you know, imagine like a like a strap or something hanging to the ceiling or like yeah. a belt and you had to grab hold of the belt with a pair of pliers what? Uh, and then and then, and then do pull-ups oh my lord <laughs> so that's almost like uh it's, it's like, like a ninja warrior or something like a <laughs> <laughs> it's like a towel yeah. pull-ups isn't it but even harder yeah, yeah. i thought things like that were amazing 
be a lot of relevance <laughs> to yeah all that was a, a ruse to try and get away from thinking of a third thing because I can't think of anything <laughs> keep it simple that's good. Keep that it easy simple. and understand your why and my three things no, I love it. That's great. So I know a lot of people who are listening to this will want to follow you and learn a little bit more about your business and follow you um, wherever they can follow you. So where do you want to send people to find a little bit more about you and about your business? Um, yeah, so my Instagram is um, at cycle.strength.coach. Yeah. Uh, and then everywhere else, I'm at FastFitStrong, uh, Twitter, Facebook, website, etc perfect so for those listening those will all be linked up in the podcast the podcast description as well so you don't need to go and try and find it just on whatever app you're on just open up the description and then all the links to all the social and the website will be there brilliant that's great thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and i know that it was good fun yeah Yeah, it's good it's always good talking weight training and cycling and everything we're interested in (laughs) absolutely absolutely Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Scott. I know I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, To find out all the links to his social media, they are just in the description of the podcast. So head over there and click them if you want to find out more about his business. Uh, Remember, at the beginning of the episode, I asked you to please send me any questions you've got for me or for Milo Mackin, the winner of SAS Who Dares Wins, one of three winners. Um, So please do send me some questions through because it'll just make the episode great. I will probably be answering every single question that gets sent to me. So just send them over i don't care how specific they are or how general they are just email me with a subject line uh question for the podcast just make sure you reference the podcast because i get a lot of people emailing me asking general questions um, and then i will answer it on the podcast with milo so you'll get my opinion you get milo's opinion if it's relevant uh, and on the flip side for the questions that are just for milo you obviously get his specific uh, opinion on those so please do email me some questions to matt at mtb.com fitness i would really really appreciate that other than that thank you so much for listening i hope you've really enjoyed it it's great to see the podcast going from strength to strength and i'm excited to do some of those q a sessions in there as well and try and up the volume of the amount of uh, volume as in the frequency up the frequency of the amount of podcasts that i'm putting out there i've already nailed the volume i think (laughs) so thanks so much and i will see you next week for another episode of the mtb fitness podcast